0: The series that we're in is called Broken Men of Faith. All right, two reasons. One, we wanted to take a few weeks and just dedicate some, some of our concentration, some of our application, and some of our messages um, to men because there is a little bit of dysfunction. Uh, there's some disconnect, there's some brokenness um, in terms of men in the local church, men and faith. Um, and we wanted to be able to talk about some of those things. But primarily, the reason we call it broken men of faith is because uh, all of us can learn from the examples we're given in scripture of these broken men and women of faith, right? Like, like there's this expectation, if you will, of of people kind of having their stuff together, and we read about none of these people in the word of God that he, he gave us. So um, that's kind of always been odd to me, is that there's this There's this expectation that we bring to the table that if you don't have all the answers and you make mistakes and you do things wrong, uh, that you're kind of out of God's uh, good graces. And I'm just like, have you read the Bible? Do you know? Like, just read, just take Genesis alone, right? Like, just just look at that. And so there's so much to learn from their brokenness from how they approach things that that's one of the reasons we wanted to kind of do this series, okay? Um, Last week again, when I talked about the the relationship between men and the church, There is some brokenness there. There's some disconnect, if you will, oftentimes between men and their faith. Uh, This has been in the last 100 years or more. Uh, But this is a recent survey, uh, you know, recent 2014 that I found. Um, It reveals the average American congregations, roughly about 61% female and 39% male, according to 21 and older, according to the US uh, Congregational Life Survey that they did. This was revealed in Barna and, you know, some of these other groups that kind of use this uh, information, just to talk a little bit about sort of like this predominant idea that women are more consistent, they're more likely to come consistently and engage in faith conversations and the first to volunteer and just kind of things like that. Does that make sense? Um, but here's uh, another quote that I, I kind of save for this week because, again, it just this is a guy who just, he wasn't a pastor, he was a psychologist, and he, he just was recognizing something in the church. And uh, his name is uh, David Moreau. You can look up his book. Um, but here's one of the quotes. It says, uh, more than 90% of American men believe in God. This is from a Barna study, okay? Believe in God or believe in a God. Five out of six call themselves Christians, but only one out of six attend church on any given Sunday. You guys see the, how, the, how the numbers work there? Okay, five out of six would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but only one out of six actually attend church on a given Sunday, the average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ, but fails to see any value in going to church, but I would even say he see any value in the church. And that is broken, right? That's a problem. And and so some of the conversations that I've had, Donnie have had, some of the staff have had with men over time, it's kind of led us to this series to talk specifically about a few of the things that Uh, really do kind of sideline men. They keep men in the fringes of faith and the fringes of church um, and, uh, and a lot of times people, you know, bring their expectations like, well, churches should engage more men, so the church should be more like a business, because, you know, uh, business and things like that kind of drive men, and so it's like, that's great, but that's not what the church is supposed to be. Uh, maybe the church needs to be a little bit more militant, you know, like the, like the armed services, and, you know, call men to be warriors, and it's like, that's great. There's probably some elements to that, but that's not what the church is meant to be, And so there's lots of people that have tried different things, and the reality is is that I really do believe that if we would just address some of the problems, maybe, just maybe, we could get past some of these hurdles and see men begin to live out their faith the way that I believe God has wired them into the fullness of the church and benefit the church itself and the church body. Today we're going to look at a story. Because it's Father's Day, I wanted to talk about a father. Uh, This, however, is um, an unknown father, He's an unnamed father, and I really do believe um, the encounter that he has with Jesus—it's recorded by Mark, uh, which is really from Peter. Peter to Mark is how that the Mark's Gospel came about. So it's a lot of what Peter's, you know, testimony is. Um, the reason this encounter was so important, and I, I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, but it was so profound that we don't even get the name of this dad, but the encounter is what matters. And the encounter, and I believe what the dad says and what we can read and learn from this, this broken man of faith um, is going to be beneficial today. So I'm going to read through the whole thing, all right? This is going to be, uh, if you want to look at it later, it's Mark 9, uh, 10 verses there in Mark 9, 14 through 24, it goes a little bit further, but I'll, I'll kind of summarize those verses. Um, but let's read the whole thing, and then I'm going to take us through this idea. Uh, when they return to the other disciples, let me pause. <laughs> Sorry. I, to, I always have to give you context, right? Let me pause. All right. Jesus has taken the big three. I call it the big three, right? Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. He has taken the big three to this mountain, and um, I, don't know, I don't know why. It doesn't necessarily say why. He just leads them up there, and then Jesus proceeds to have a meeting with Elijah and Moses okay? So it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an amazing story, Um, but it's this moment where the big three, you know, the inner circle of disciples kind of come. They witness Jesus, you know, transform, and then he starts having a business meeting with Elijah and Moses, all right? And then they're just so amazed by it, they actually hear the voice of God speaking about Jesus, and then Jesus is alone by himself, and Peter gets all excited and he's like let's build altars let's build three altars here and stay here forever and Jesus is like whatever dude we got work to do so let's just go okay so when they came back okay this is the beginning of the verse right so when they come back from this moment they see a large crowd surrounding them and the teachers of the religious law are arguing with them they're arguing with the disciples it says when the crowd saw Jesus they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him what is all the arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, well, teacher, I brought my son. This is the father. I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently into the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to the disciples, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? This is probably not the most inspiring thing Jesus has ever told them. Um, But this is a moment, right? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy to Jesus. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy. And the Spirit throws him into the fire, or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us, if you can. What do you mean, if I can? I don't know if you can tell, but Jesus is a little bit fed up with humans at this point, okay? I don't know, I don't know if it's the transfiguration moment, okay? The transform moment. But he's a little bit, it just seems like he's on edge a little bit. But he catches this statement, and I believe Jesus brings it out for a reason. He says, what do you, what do you mean? if I can. Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to end it here. The rest of the story, Jesus does cast out the demon. Um, later on, the disciples asked why they couldn't do it, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, this was just one of those times where you're, you know, you get to the end of the story, and you kind of move on in the Gospels to the next thing Jesus did. But this is such a significant encounter. Okay, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John not to tell anyone about the transfiguration moment until after he's risen from the dead. So this is one of the reasons I believe Peter remembers the story. I think Peter came down from the mountain just kind of in, a, in an awe of just taking in everything that was going on. And this was such a significant encounter with this dad and with this spirit they couldn't, uh, the disciples, the other disciples couldn't um, deliver that they wanted to, that he, through Mark, just said, we got to record this. This is, this, is, this is the part of Jesus' story that everyone needs to know, that everyone needs to hear in his life. I think the reason, it has to do with that last statement, and I'll just go ahead and say that this is one of the things that I have noticed the most in my very short time of living that um, and pastoring that, you know, when I talk with men and I see men on the fringe of church and I see men on the fringe of faith, um, oftentimes it has everything to do with their struggle of unbelief, with their struggle of not being able to reconcile something, not being able to answer something, not being able to solve something on their own, not being able to, to figure something out when it comes to God or when it comes to the church. It's, it's, it's something that, that becomes a hurdle for them. It becomes something that keeps them, as we talked about in the last series, keeps them from growing. It keeps them from getting to the next stage. It, it keeps them from learning more. It keeps them from, from engaging and doing some of the things that God's told them to do because it's a struggle of unbelief. Men are not the only ones that have it. Understand that. But I do primarily see this when men are disconnected and when men are not really engaged in living out their faith in their fullness, it has some root in their story of an issue of unbelief. And again, for some reason, they feel like it sidelines them from what God has for them and what God has in store. Here's a few things I pull from this story that I I believe is part of the struggle with unbelief the father's talking to Jesus and says, you know, when the spirit sees him, he throws him violently to the ground, he thumps the mouth, he grinds in his teeth and becomes so rigid. And I came here and asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, the evil spirit. but they couldn't do it. That's a big deal. Do not underestimate the, um, the power and the influence of a parent who you guys know as a parent, you struggle when your children struggle. You know, it doesn't matter how old they are. I've talked to grandparents in the room who, who, who go through incredible pain watching their children go through incredible pain, making decisions that they can't help, feeling helpless, which again is another issue for men, because here's a dad who feels completely and utterly helpless to help his son. And he'd heard about the miracles, and he'd heard about Jesus, and he'd heard about the way, and he'd heard about the disciples even, casting out demons and doing this work. So he brings his son to where he believes the hope is. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And this is just the first thing that, that pops into my mind um, in terms of the struggle. and believe that God's people will fail you. God's people will fail you. Matter of fact, that's a good statement to make. Let's just all say it out loud. God's people will fail you. Say it one more time. Now, because we're God's people, we don't like to say this, so we're going to say it one more time, okay? God's people will fail you. You don't understand the number of people that show up to this church hoping to fix their marriage, hoping to save their kids, hoping that one of their spouse will come to know the Lord solve mental health issues like depression and anxiety. They show up at this church, they show up at other churches. They have expectations of what things will look like. And many times, the church can't do it for whatever reason. Church can't do it. Church couldn't solve the problem. Church couldn't fix it. The people in the church didn't respond the way we needed them to respond. The expectations weren't met. And they begin to let that be a part of their faith, which puts a doubt and unbelief in their mind that God can. Everybody with me? This is um, this is pretty big. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to go ahead and read this verse to you before we talk more about it. But Paul says this to the church in Rome. This is after he talks about um, the transforming of your mind by changing the way you think by by living out this life of an act of worship. And, and he says this very clearly as a challenge. As a matter of fact, you see the word warning here. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I'm going to give you each this warning. Don't think, of you, don't think you are better than you really are. Be, what's the word? Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Not others. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given you. Okay. He's, he's, he's given some huge things to the church in Rome and he's telling them there's transformation of living this life of a life of sacrifice, but you have to start somewhere and you have to start with where you really are. Okay. You have to start with where you really are. Be honest in how you evaluate yourself. We're not very good at that. We're great at evaluating others. Okay. And how they failed us. But we're not very good at evaluating ourselves. And I love the fact that he says, I want you to measure yourself by the faith that God gave you. Meaning that the faith that you have, this thing you currently have where you believe in Jesus and he's your savior. Yeah. That faith is something he already gave you. You're not that smart to figure it out on your own. Okay. So there's this incredible verse. It's like, honestly, assess yourself. You did not come up with this great idea for God to save you. He did that. Where do you sit in the mix of this? And I think that challenge to the church is huge because when I have spoken with people who have had church pain, church hurt in their story, and it causes them to to have a struggle of unbelief, the thing that I always come back to is it's amazing how they tell me their stories. And I'm listen. I'm not discounting the stories. Don't hear, you, me, don't hear me say to you that it doesn't matter that it was tragic. It doesn't matter that there was betrayal. It doesn't matter that there was failure. It doesn't matter that God, somebody, somebody in God's church, you know, treated you in a way that was ungodly. I'm not telling you that that doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is that I'm so amazed when I have these conversations that they talk about other people and the situations as if they are completely removed from it. As if they had no part in the conflict, as if they had no part in this. And even from the standpoint of someone being perfectly innocent, they forget that all the people that hurt them are just like them. That all the people that failed them are just like them. They're broken, they're sinners saved by grace. They choose in every moment whether to live by the Spirit or to live on their flesh. In any moment. They're just like you. This is why God's people will fail you. Because they're just like you. Because you're God's people. Everybody with me? That sounds like circular logic and it is. Right? Because it's true. God's people will fail you because God's people are broken people. Now, does God use the church? Does God use people to do incredible things, to perform miracles? Yes. But you know what always overshadows those stories? How bad someone treated someone. The wake of, of tragedy, the wake of poor decisions, the wake of ungodly, godly people acting in an ungodly way to others. That's always what overshadows it. Here's what I want you to hear, Right? God's people will fail you. True. Jesus never fails. Let's just say that one together. Okay, you ready? God's people will fail you, right? Jesus never fails. Okay. I just want you to hear it. I will fail you. Okay. I don't intend to, but I will. Pastor Donnie will fail you. This church will fail you. Okay? We we cannot help your children not rebel. We can't do that. I can't save your spouse. We've had people leave because we weren't working hard enough to save their unbelieving spouse. Okay? I can't save your spouse. I I can't pull you out of your depression and your anxiety. I can't do it. The church can't do it. Your small group can't do it. And yet, Jesus never fails because he works in and through his people, through his church, through his bride. And you're going to have to accept the failures with the the successes because the reality is God's people will fail you. But Jesus never fails. Our mission as a church is not to save people and to redeem people and to, uh, you know, perfect people and to make people never have sin and never, that's not the mission of our church. Our mission is to humbly point, just say it out loud, humbly point everyone to, yeah, why would we, why would we make that the mission of our church? Because that's something that we are still going to probably fail at, but Jesus doesn't fail. I might fail at always being humble, always pointing to the absolute hope of Jesus. Hopefully we succeed as well, because we know the truth. God's people will fail us, but but Jesus will never fail. You cannot let this, and I'm just saying this to anybody who's, who's used this, and it's been a hurdle in your life. You cannot allow where God's people, the church, has failed you to keep you from engaging in your faith. To to, to sit on the sidelines with your unbelief. Because I'm telling you, you haven't been honest about yourself. You haven't been honest in in, in evaluating the fact that nobody has failed you more than you failed you. You're not being honest about you. You're blaming it all on someone else. It's easy to blame it on the church. It's easy to blame it on God's people. And the reality is, is that it's true. Oh, it's true. They'll fail you. But Jesus doesn't fail you. He won't fail you why so we got to keep pointing people to absolute hope. We've got to keep pointing people back to him. Don't let that be a part of your, of your story, of your unbelief, because we know that it is. We know that that, that really does affect people. You go to Mark 9. Again, this is, Jesus, uh, this is Jesus' response, or sorry, the Father's response to Jesus. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or water. He tries to kill him. So have mercy on us and help us if you can And when Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? Because he said, anything is possible with the precursor of, for those who believe. Listen, anything's possible to those who who believe. What What do you mean, if I can? The if I can, somebody would call that, some people, psychologists today would call that a Freudian slip, you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, Freudian slip where it's like, you say what you're really thinking, right? You know, we're here, please have mercy on us. Please help us, if you can. It's kind of how we read it and think about it. And Jesus has to point this out because beyond a psychological little, little uh, hack there, he has, point, he has to point out the fact that, listen, let me just remind you that anything is possible for those who believe, for those who hold to their belief, and who believe in me, this is his response. And this is another place that I just see it coming up with people. Is, is what we call the unexplainable versus the undeniable. Let's, let's just we'll, I'm going to pick on men for just a minute, okay? Just know I'm picking on me, okay? Uh, men tend to kind of toss out what we don't understand. Everybody okay with that, me saying that? Yes, men, nod your head if you're with me, right? If we don't get it, if we don't understand it, if it doesn't make any sense to us, we just sort of throw it away. Okay, we sort of toss it aside. All right, because that's a big deal for us. We get stuck. If there's something that men do not can't logically put together, can't explain, they're gonna struggle. Okay? Where does all the struggle in marriage come from? Comes from men not understanding women. Right? (laughs) Let's be honest. Right? There's the yeah, amen. That's right. There's there is a massive struggle there. Okay? And it's, it's primarily rooted in men going, I don't understand you. <laughs> so there's a struggle. Now, men can't toss women aside. Why? Because there's an undeniable thing that pulls us together. Amen? Okay? Undeniable. 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 <laughs> that pulls us together and keeps us together. But it doesn't change that the struggle that men have, especially when it comes to unbelief, is the unexplainable. When I can't logically explain it, when I can't figure it out, when I can't put the two dots together, they really begin to struggle. And here's the situation where Jesus is like, okay, listen, I, I understand the if you can statement, but, but you need to understand that anything is possible for those who believe. Anything is possible for those who believe you're talking about doubts. You're talking about what you can't explain. You're talking about what you don't get. I'm I'm telling you not to focus on that. I'm telling you to focus on the fact that anything is possible because both actually exist. Okay? How do we know this is true? Look at the disciples. Look at Jesus' response to the disciples. You faithless people, these are his disciples. You faithless people, how, must, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Okay? I mean, men tried to figure it out. God gave them the ability to cast out demons. Okay? The, the dad brought the son. Easy peasy. We've already done this before. We've seen Jesus do this before. They said the words, it didn't happen. Maybe they didn't move their hands right. They had to move their hands right. You know, how'd you move them last time? Okay, let's talk about that. Because that's how men approach things. Am I right? Am I right? Men say amen. Am I right? Okay, that's how men approach things. Okay, And here's here's Jesus saying, okay, I understand how you approach things. What is wrong with you? How much longer do I have to be here? I mean, he continued to come back to this issue of faith and belief and that anything is possible. Do you not still claim to understand that? You're just fixated and arguing about the fact that you couldn't do something you thought you could do. And now it became unexplainable, and now you're struggling. This is just, I hate to say it, guys, this is our story. If we can't explain it, we will struggle in unbelief. And yet, this is just not the story of our salvation. This is not the story of the gospel. There is so much about our faith that we simply can't explain. Yet, what we should be praying for is the undeniable. And I say this in all the most loving way I can. Even when we move our minds to the undeniable, there will still be a struggle with belief because you're just going to have that constant tension of not really being able to explain it. Okay, let me give you another quick example, okay? Jesus rises from the dead. He's a dead man for three days. He gets up, he spends 40 days walking with people, talking with people, revealing himself to 500 plus witnesses, okay? They've seen the physical form of Jesus on the earth after he was brutally crucified and buried. And then, okay, like that's not enough. Then he ascends to heaven Okay. He, I don't know what that looked like. Floated up like a butterfly? I don't know. Zapped out in a burst of light? Who knows? All I know is this verse that Matthew put in there for my sake. I didn't hold my hand right. This is, this is Matthew 28. This is after the ascension. They worshipped. They worshipped him. But some of them, what's the word? You know they were men. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Right? He's risen from the dead. He's appeared before 500 people. They've come. They've seen him. They, he ascends to heaven, telling us his final words. And somebody goes... I don't know. I don't know. Let me be honest. There are people in your life, I'm saying this to the men in the room, there are people in your life who are praying for you. They're watching you flounder in your faith. There's parents and siblings and spouses and children praying for you and praying that God would show up in an undeniable way. And guess what? He is showing up in an undeniable way around you and through them and through the church in your life. And there are still men that go, I don't know. I guess I'm just lucky. I guess it's just a coincidence. I guess, I guess it's just karma. It's all sorts of ways that men will shrink to try to explain something rather than leaning in the undeniable. Don't let this be a part of your faith story where you struggle with unbelief and you do not engage fully because you can't explain fully. That's a part of our story. That's just part of how it works. I I can tell you I'm I'm 46. How old am I now? I am 46 now. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm 46. As you can tell, my mind's already going. Um, I'm 46. And to be honest, I kind of feel like I I know less than I thought I did when I was in my 20s and 30s because I thought I knew it all, right, then. I kind of feel like I know less than the big picture peripheral things. But the things that I can know and the things that are undeniable to me are the things that are rooted deep in my heart and soul. Does that make sense? And these are the things I cling to. These are the things I hold to, the things I believe. Why? Because anything is possible for those who believe. It's not just about your knowledge, not just about all the about thinking you know it all and being to explain it all. I love Paul's uh, challenge to the church in Corinth. If I could speak in all the unknown languages, if I could share all the mysteries, if I could understand it all, if I could serve everyone, and didn't have love, didn't have something deeper, it was nothing, nothing but noise, nothing but useless energy. Don't let this be a part of your story. You're going to struggle with unbelief. Just hear me say it. It's okay. But don't let the church, don't let God's people who are going to fail you keep you on the fringe. Don't let this, this unexplainable keep you on the fringe because there is, I'm telling you, there's undeniable works of God in your life. And if there hasn't been, guys, just pray for one. Okay, seriously, just pray that your eyes would be revealed. And I'm telling you, He will. He will open your eyes to the undeniable work of the Spirit of God in you." When he follows that up, if you can, anything is possible for a person who believes, the Father instantly cried out, I love these words, it was immediate, it was a response, a gut response, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this feels like a, you know, a, what's it, a contradictory statement, right? It feels like a contradictory statement, but this is something that I think, I think men are gonna be able to agree with, and at least on some level uh, understand that this is true about them, but it's also a part of our struggle, okay? Knowledge isn't enough, okay? Go to the next slide. Uh, knowledge alone is useless just all by itself. It's really useless. It has to have an effect. It has to have an application. And we believe that belief informs behavior. This is a phrase I stole from Pastor Don from last year. I really do love this phrase. We believe that belief, conviction, really does inform our actions. It informs our behavior. And I think this is something that men naturally gravitate towards. Because they want what they believe to be true to be something that kind of motivates action, motivates steps, you know, informs their behavior. So the belief is important. But the struggle of unbelief can sometimes get lost in our knowledge or what we don't have or what we can't explain. And so here's this data, and I want you to see this, okay? Okay. He comes to Jesus. He brings his son. He brings it to the brings him to the church, to the disciples. He brings him to be healed. He explains the situation. He he pleads with Jesus because he's, he's so helpless. He pleads with Jesus to help and have mercy on his son. And, and he says, when he gets challenged because he slips out that that, that doubt in his heart, he, he wants Jesus to see the action. He says, No, I'm here. I do believe. I'm here. I brought him to you. See, that's the action that goes with his core belief. He wasn't at home talking about what, G- what Jesus would do if he were Jesus, you know, like, he's not, not at home, arm, you know, armchair quarterback and the whole thing and, and, and having all his opinions and putting them online and posting on Facebook and so on and so on he's like, no, I'm here. Like, I brought him. There's enough belief in me that has me here with you knowing that it's possible. But then he's honest with Jesus about the fact that he carries, in the midst of his belief, he carries unbelief. Because that's what men do. In the midst of his belief, he carries unbelief. And his plea to Jesus, the only thing that he asks for from Jesus, he asks for his son, but the only thing he asks for him, help me overcome this. Help me overcome this thing in my life where I I struggle with belief. When I say knowledge is useless, this is the way um, James, the brother of Jesus, puts it, okay? This is James talking to his church. You say that you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror, okay? James is also, I think he took after Jesus in some of this, right? Like, he, he's got a little bit of this in him. Good for you. Well, you want a cookie? Right? Like, like, you just described a demon. Yeah, you believe in God. Yeah, you believe Jesus is God's son. Good for you. Goes on. How foolish. Can't you see your faith without good, good deeds is useless? Can't you see your belief without conviction, without action, is useless? knowledge alone keep going <clears throat> don't you remember that our ancestor abraham was shown to be right with god by his actions when he offered his son isaac on the altar you see his faith and actions work together his actions made his faith complete and and what i think what i think happens sometimes is that the church rightfully so we, we... <laughs> We are, we are positioned in such a way that knowledge is a big deal. We want to make sure that we preach the whole word of God to you. We want to make sure that, that we, we clear up theology for you. We want to make sure that you have healthy doctrine in place and how we practice things. We want to make sure that you, you receive good information, applicable knowledge, the, his truth, not my truth or your truth. That's a big part of the church in terms of the church gathering, even in small groups, whether that's, you know, it's a big part of it is still knowledge, but knowledge alone is useless. It has to be belief-informing action. It has to be, because you're going to carry your unbelief with you. Just hear me say that. You're going to carry your unbelief with you. But to help you overcome that, you've got to engage your faith. Your faith is going to be made complete when you put what you know into action, when you put what you know into the steps in your life. That's going to bring it. See, people sometimes think that faith faith doesn't have any like tension to it. And I tell people all the time, it has tension all the time. Matter of fact, in this particular case, I would say your tension is going to be belief and unbelief. And you see this in the the, the story of this dad, that he's operating in the tension. I'm here. I showed up. I'm mad because they couldn't do it. That would be enough to send him home, send most of us home, blame the church, church failed stupid church. Right? They can't explain it. They can't explain why it didn't work for them. Worked for John's boy. You went to his house and did it. It Doesn't work for mine. Can't explain that. So they would leave. They would blame the church. They get bitterness in their heart. But here's his dad holding his belief and his unbelief together, shows up to Jesus. And the recognition of the fact that he says, I do believe please help me overcome my unbelief, is just the Father saying, I live in the tension that exists. I live in the tension that exists in my faith. The things that I believe firmly and maybe have some convictions about, and the things that I struggle with. And they both exist, and they're both there. And when I have conversations with guys, I'm just telling you, this is some of the biggest conversations I have with men, is them, them struggling with, you know, in their faith, that this is what faith looks like that faith is the bridge. Faith is the bridge, if you will, of your convictions, what you believe, what you absolutely are putting into practice in your life versus the things you can't reconcile versus the things you do struggle with versus your past experiences versus where people have failed you versus where you've assumed things on God and he hasn't shown up in the way that you expected him to show up. There's all these things that fuel this unbelief and our doubts and our concerns, but you carry both of them with you. And faith is what bridges that gap. Faith itself is, right, the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we can't see. Did I say it right? Let me go to the verse. Yeah, almost perfectly, right? Because this is one of my favorite verses. That is what faith is. It's confidence in our hope. It's our hope that we have confidence in. It means I have a conviction and a belief. I can't explain it. It's still a hope for, it's still something that I'm putting my trust in, but I have faith in it and I believe it. It's confidence. It's assurance in what I can't see, but I know that I can see God. So I I trust in what I can see because he's going to take care of what I can't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what all the stories of broken men and women of faith in the Bible, this is what they are commended for. Hebrews 11 goes on to list them. They're commended for their faith. They're commended and applauded and praised by God for the fact that they lived their life holding their belief and their unbelief together and allowed their faith to lead them. To lead them and to trust God. If I could say anything to a dad today, to the men of our church today, to men in general that are listening, please don't let your struggle with unbelief keep you from fully engaging and following after Jesus. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what we see in his disciples. This is what we see even in this dad. Operate from your conviction. Operate from what you do believe in. And carry the unbelief with you. God will help you overcome it. As you continue to move, as you continue to grow. Don't let past experiences where God's people hurt you, because I know that's true. Don't let that derail you. Stop stop getting stuck in the unexplainable. Ask God to reveal the undeniable, because it's there. And it's what you're going to really put your roots into. And ultimately, knowledge is important. Now, we want you to know the right things, but guys, we gotta, we got to move forward in action. Don't let, your, don't let unbelief be an excuse for you to rebel against God, right? Like, don't, don't let your unbelief be this excuse that like, well, I already know how I'm supposed to do or know what I'm supposed to be doing but I don't want to do those things. So I'm just going to claim to live in this land of unbelief. Don't do that. God's not pleased with that. You're not pleased with that. You won't won't be for the long term. Work out of your convictions. Live out of those beliefs that you currently have, that God gave you, that you're honest about. And then say, God, help me overcome the struggle that I have. It's okay that you haven't. Help me overcome my... Unbelief. That's what your faith is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thankful for the men in this church who are growing in examples of this, uh, of living out their life with their belief and unbelief in hand, continuing to press forward. I'm so thankful for all the, the victorious stories of watching men grow in their faith because they've been able to, to approach it this way. I'm praying for all of those who have stepped away, those who are returning, those who are still on the fringe of faith, still on the fringe of their relationship with, with your church because of all the hurdles that are in front of them because of their struggle of unbelief. God, I'm praying that you would begin to break those walls down today. Don't let them be excuses. Don't let it be something that keeps them from really experiencing the fullness of you. We do believe, God, and let us, be, let us move forward in that conviction and where we struggle with unbelief, just as the Father cried out to you, help us, everyone here, God, help us overcome that unbelief. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.